Good morning. It really is wonderful to be back with you. And um, I sat there thinking, should I be speaking this morning? God is here. Shouldn't we just keep going? And thank you to Callum and Katie and the rest uh, leading us in such wonderful worship. Absolutely outstanding. And it's lovely to see all of you. Some friends I've known for many, many years and others I've yet to meet. Um, but greetings from uh, those of us in London, where uh, Heather and I are based. We're part of a church that um, wasn't around uh, over a year ago, but we've had the joy of planting into Westminster in London, just a stone's throw from uh, Parliament and Big Ben and all the other wonderful uh, things to see in the, uh, the city. And um, it's been a glorious some 10 months now, AJ, is that right, that we've been going? Sorry, I'm just going to remove this because it's switching off my iPad. Um, and uh, it's been a glorious time, and we've had such joy of seeing people saved, already baptism. we got one more next month, and we're starting to feel our presence grow in that great city with so many other fabulous churches. I also have been instructed to say hi from my wife, Heather. Um, she is actually driving to Johannesburg in South Africa at the moment, flying home, and we'll meet at the front door tomorrow around about 12.15, I do understand. Um, she has been um, helping with a new project in the school that we have, Dithlebank School, um, and just helping them with uh, some fresh breakthrough. And so she sends her love, and we continue to press on in God. Um, it's also lovely to have AJ um, Abdullah Jamal with me. He's a great friend, wonderful son, faithful friend. He's with me in uh, Trinity Church. He's serving Daniel McLeod, um, and I pop in and out when I'm around in the country. Um, but even this evening, I know uh, it's leaders, I think, this evening, or uh, leadership, but AJ is going to share some of how the, the gospel impacted his life in the nations. But I would recommend that you all hear him at some time. Well, if you have a Bible, I wonder if you turn to Acts chapter 26. And this morning, I, I do want to just say that I'm not going to do uh, a message steeped in Scripture. Um, I want to really share life with you this morning. And, um, but I don't want to neglect the Word of God. I believe that the Word of God has to be at the forefront of everything we do, every waking moment. And there's a real um, battle over that in the nations these days and in the church where there is a dialing back. And so please, from my um, limited use of Scripture this morning, please don't read the wrong things. I love the Word of God and I'd love to preach from it this morning, but I felt because of my limited time in some of the key churches around the world that I wanted to catch up in God's great purposes among us as a family. But this scripture is one I'm going to start with and end off with today. And if you know your Bible in Acts chapter 26, the great apostle Paul has been ministering. He's opened up uh, vast parts of the world. The gospel only took 30 years to go from Jerusalem to the ends of the known world under the likes of Paul and others' ministry, Peter and other apostles. Only 30 years. And we come to the, the closing uh, chapter of his life. He's now been taken into 
uh, imprisonment, um, and he will see out the last of his days under house arrest. There are a few other thoughts to that, but let me just say that at the moment. And he has to start giving account for his apostolic ministry, his message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's standing before kings, and he's standing before rulers, and in this wonderful verse, verse 19, he says to King Agrippa, he's before him, giving account. If you read the whole scripture, it's absolutely wonderful, but just these few. Verse 19 of Acts 26. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven, the vision that came when Christ called him on that Damascus road and what followed. I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached to, uh, first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sins and turn to God, and prove that they are changed by the good things uh, they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time, so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. Father God, we thank you so much that we could gather this morning in your presence before you. And Holy Spirit, just you, the, the sense of you being among us as we lifted up the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for that. And I pray now, Lord, that we would continue in the same vein, that everything that we talk about this morning would not boast about any human effort or anything we have done or achieved because we know that everything comes from you. And so I pray for my dear friends here that right now, Lord, you would sweep us up into your great, great work in this nation, in this town, and right across, Lord, the earth to the ends of the earth. I pray, would you help me, Lord? Would you give me a clear mind and an open heart to all you want to say and do this morning? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is... Um, had a time where just before this particular thing happened, a couple of chapters earlier, he's traveling around and he starts to visit some of the churches he had planted quite a few years before. Because one of the things about being an apostolic people group or being caught up in an apostolic advance, in other words, to be a sent people is what the word means, is that he wasn't always able to get to all the churches that he loved and that were birthed out of his ministry. And there's a time where he leaves Philippi and he arrives in Troas, that's Troy, if you know the story of Troy and the, um, the wooden horse. He arrives in Troas where a great community has been born. And because he's got little time there, it says that he preaches well into the night. And um, so I've realized I've got little time. I've got an accusing cluck at the back of the room. They're looking at me with that accusing finger. So I want to not preach through the night. You'll be pleased to know. And I hope no one will fall asleep and uh, fall out the window. It's happened in Paul's case. But if you do, I'll come across to you and I'll lay hands on you hard, fast, and continuously. 
But um, I, I felt that this morning, and it's a great joy to be here, um, just so pleasant, and, and to come in and feel God is, is such a joy. I'm sure you all felt that. Amen. It's such a joy. And I, I felt this morning, I wanted to take you on a journey. I want to take the last period of time in my life and in the life of our movement, regions beyond, and I want to do unpack, I think, about four events that I believe are shaping these days that we are living in. But firstly, I want to look back, because I know some of you might be new in the churches, and it's wonderful to hear what's happening in the East. It's wonderful to see all that's being carried. Had an outstanding time with the leading couples last night. May I just thank you for a wonderful evening and great food, but just the fun. AJ and I returned to the place we're staying and said, that was great. Such a lovely atmosphere. And Colin is right. Churches do go through times where God wants to reset us, where he recalibrates us. And sometimes we call that the valley. But the reason we go through the valleys is to prepare us for the mountains that are to come. And when you're in the top of the mountain, you look and you want to go to the next one. You realize, oh, no, there'll be another valley to cross to get there. They prepare us those times for all God's got. Eight years ago, together with you and some 12 other churches, 13 of us, five based here in the United Kingdom and eight in Southern Africa, we began a journey. We had all been part of a much larger movement in the UK at that time, although many that have since joined us have no history with us before joining Regions Beyond. And we, were, we set our course to continue to make Jesus famous through the nations. That was our calling. That was the longing of our hearts that we are 13 churches. We've been commissioned to play our part in gospel extension. We came, as I said, out of a much larger movement and there were some 18 new, small, fledgling movements born out of that greater one known as New Frontiers, under the leadership of a dear friend and father, Terry Virgo. In that time, Terry saw the, uh, the, into the future God was leading us and how we were to progress, that there wasn't to be succession to a man who would take on a great movement, but that there was to be multiplication because that's what we read in the Bible. God sent his one and only son who gathered 12 disciples. He empowered 120 in the upper room on the day that we remember today. And then there were thousands added. And so it went and it went. God's into multiplication. And in those early days, in Acts 15, the, sorry, in, in Acts 15, the Jerusalem apostles recognized the gift that Paul had and Barnabas. And it says that they extended the right hand of fellowship. In other words, there was recognition that God has anointed us for this great purpose in the nations. And in the same way, we were called. We were sent. We were recognized. And in those early days, some eight years ago, we settled on this name, Regions Beyond. And many people ask me, where does that come from? What's it about? Well, many years ago, as a, a young leader in the church, just coming in, finding my way, 
I was doing a study of 2 Corinthians, and I came across 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. Well, let me read from 15, where it says, Paul's writing to a church that he birthed, and he says, we do not go beyond the limits by boasting of work done by others. So Paul is acknowledging that the work of the gospel is by many, many different churches and different groups of people. And he said, I, I can't go. We're not going to boast beyond our limits. But he says to the church, but our hope is that, Corinthians, as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly extend or expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond. And when I read that, I felt that God imparted a pattern of ministry that we have followed, where churches join together, we allow faith to rise up in us, so that together, as we enjoy the presence of God, we can help the gospel go forth. Because we know that as the gospel goes to all nations, the end will come. And what we've been singing about this morning, that lovely verse. Sorry, I can't remember the exact words because we sang a few songs. But those wonderful words, when we arrive, we'll be transfixed on Jesus' faith. Jesus wants a big family. He wants all the people groups. I was overjoyed this morning by the diversity here, by the way. Wonderful. I think it's one of the signs of the gospel taking root. And so when I saw these words, regions beyond, I felt God saying, that's what I've called you to do. That's what you are called to. And so, brothers and sisters, as we, as a small band of churches, began this uncertain but exciting journey... We were carrying the regions beyond in us, not just to do great services on Sundays, not just to impact our community, our town, our neighborhood, which is so important. In Trinity, we're living for that. We've got three things for London. We're living for London. We're living for the nations. And we're living for the glory of Jesus Christ. Those are the three we've set. We want to see London impacted. London is a, an angry city. I travel in there very often. There's usually not a day I go into London that there's not some form of anger expressed in different ways on the streets. It's a city looking for salvation. But God wants us to carry all of this and live with this tension that Colin so wonderfully described us now of being local, of being here, of carrying our neighborhood and then at the same time, carrying the great purposes of Jesus Christ. Because the thing I've learned about Jesus as I follow him, wherever we go, he's always there first. Heather and I thought we were real heroes when we left our home city of Cape Town, South Africa, and moved up into the middle of nowhere, little town of Clarence. Some of you know where we come from. And we thought, wow, this is amazing. We're going to go and take Jesus to these people. One of the first people I met said to me, oh, Jesus has been visiting me in dreams for many years and telling me that you are coming. And you think, hang on a second. What's going on here? I thought I was the great missionary. No, he is. He's the one out there. And so as we press on, 
as we press on, we realize you go and you say, okay, Jesus, come now. He's already been working. And that's our call. And so we began eight years ago. And now a small band of churches, of which you were one, Gateway Swindon, 13 of us, is no longer 13. We're no longer on two continents. We're on six continents. That means six out of the seven. We're looking for someone who will go to Antarctica. <laughs> I keep threatening Ray Lowe, my dear friend, that it's his job. You know, those of you who know him. We're in some 40-plus nations. I can't keep track because of the gospel keeps going, because of the faithfulness of brothers and sisters worshiping as we did in the mornings, but then carrying the purposes of God wider. Our 13 churches now numbers some 250 odd. I, I don't know the exact number. In eight years. We're multilingual. We're so diverse. It is absolutely glorious. I sat in a hotel once where I gathered a group of leaders. And um, we were from I don't know how many different nations. It was in the Middle East as well. And this... Uh, the, I got up very early to go and sit in the dining room so I could pre finish preparing my message to speak that morning. I was all alone before anybody in the dining room opened. I was there, and I was having coffee, and this young lady poured my coffee, and then she walked away, and then she returned. And I suddenly realized she was standing next to me, and uh, I said to her, are you okay? She said, may I ask you a question? A young Filipino lady. And I said, sure. She said to me, who are you? And I said, um, I'm Stephen. No, 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 you together. Because we're all these different nations, but one heart. A love that was on display. It's an incredible thing that God is doing across the nations. And so we continue, we're eager to preach the gospel, the true gospel, to baptize and to, to disciple the nations as Jesus instructed his disciples to do. Once they were empowered by the Spirit. We're in Central Africa, as you know. I've just got back from America, where God did the most incredible work in the northwest of America. Just as he had said some eight years before. I was in Mumbai, where AJ comes from. And an Indian guy in a leaders meeting came and said, Steve, I don't know what this means. But he said, I saw you reach right up into the northwest of America. And God said, take hold. And it became yours. And he said, as soon as you had it in your hand, you looked down and you reached down and you picked up Australia and they became one. And I thought, my goodness, okay, well, that's what God says. Let me say, northwest America opened up for us. We've got eight churches there, right across Montana, across um, Washington State, now right down, moving into the south, into Tennessee, and no sooner had we started to build there that Australia opened up for us. So I spent a month there this, this year. And you think, wow, God's on a mission. God's on a mission. We're training child soldiers in Liberia to become church leaders. Charles Taylor, who's now got life imprisonment after facing trial in The Hague. You will know the story of Liberia and Sierra Leone where they took children 
messed up their minds by getting them to kill family members, to mutilate brothers and sisters, chopping off hands and feet, to teach them to hate humanity. Those little children who saw all those horrible things now are coming into the church and trained up as leaders. Fuzzy McQuenna said to me, Steve, it was harrowing. He said, they're my future church leaders in Liberia. They've killed so many people. We're discipling key people in closed nations. I can't even mention. We're looking after the poor. We're breaking into key cities around the world. And we're fulfilling Jesus' mandate. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. No longer am I the only sent one apostle. And please don't see us as some person in a conical hat with a funny shaped stick and an unusual outfit. It was a gift. The risen Christ rose and he gave good gifts. He gave some to be apostles, sent ones, those who would continue to open up and establish the work of God. He, he gave us prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. We now have seven recognized apostolic people. That's why I can't keep track. In Africa, we're planting, I understand, two churches a week at the moment. It's like a wildfire. And from our five churches here in the UK, we now have 28 communities and two more budding at present. Brothers and sisters, the reason I want to tell you this is because as I come to you, I come with all this history and all these experiences and if I take time, which I've had to do visiting you, and I start to reflect on the past, and I start to step back from all the advance and all the things we're doing, the suffering, the persecution, the glory, the breakthroughs, massive healings we're seeing, which you've just seen in America, and I come back and back and back, and you go down the building right down until you start scratching at the foundation, you will find that there is this massive big foundation stone in our movement's existence, in our movement's building, that is Gateway Swindon. And I want to remind you of that this morning. Out of you have come incredible blessings worldwide. You've done well in Swindon. It's wonderful to see. And keep doing that. We've got to carry our neighborhood We've got to carry the nations. Out of you, we've seen tremendous breakthrough on the Isle of Wight with Mark and Jackie. I had lunch with him this week. We felt like hugging in the restaurant. It was quite a funny moment. Sorry, Katie. Oh, there you are. And we were sitting there overwhelmed. God, look what you've done. Mark came to me in 2003. I was a broken pastor. My church was falling apart, and he brought a life change team to come, and I said, life change, here's one who needs it. And we laughed about that because God doesn't leave us there. He breathes on us. He dusts us off. He lifts us off the ash heap. He establishes us and releases us. Has it been easy? No. Has it been costly? Yes. Has it been easy to manage or oh, absolutely not? Does it keep me busy? 
Absolutely. Does it keep me away from you? Yes. Does it bring us joy? Absolutely. Just this morning, hearing you worship, I could have packed my bags and gone and thought, they're, they're there. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. It's so wonderful to travel with AJ and to bring just one small little bit of fruit from the nations and say, here's some of our togetherness. Thirteen churches became 250. So as we look back, it's just a wonderful story. Another story that has greatly impacted me this year, and Nick and Motti, who were with us at Marathon, heard me tell the story of a young man in your nation called Samuel Martin. I met his statue before I met him. And um, he's quite a cool dude. He's got a lot more hair than I've got. And he was very smartly dressed. And um, whoever did his eyes gave him these, these really, um, really powerful eyes and this look. And he looks at you and you feel like taking a step back. But in 1850, in your nation, in London, there was a newspaper, periodical, they called it, published ever so often. It was called the Household Periodical. And your great author, Charles Dickens, often wrote for the Household Periodical. Don't ask me why, I haven't a clue. But he used to write articles in there. And one day, in one of his articles, he spoke about London, and particularly the area of Westminster, the area of Westminster where Trinity Church London, one of our newer plants, is based. And he referred to it as the Devil's Acre. And maybe that was where the story, Oliver Twist, came out of. I don't know the history well enough. But it's interesting. He wrote it about the same time that that came out, Oliver. And he declared, he said, oh, this place is a devil's acre. The unemployment, all the things, the prostitution, the, 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 the misuse and abuse of children, all of this stuff. But what he didn't know is that a young man with 22 people had felt the call of God and moved into Westminster and into the devil's acre. They planted a church, and they began a work. And Samuel Martin wasn't one consumed by quantity. Quantity is the curse of the modern church, as far as I'm concerned. How big? How many people do you gather? How many this? How many that? You say, no. I want to celebrate growth, because Jesus said, I'll give you a mustard seed. Watch what I do with it. So I celebrate what he's doing. But Samuel Martin wasn't worried about numbers, how many people. He was worried that there was an area of this city, of this great nation, where there was no representation of Jesus Christ or the glory of God. And so with 22 people, just like you and I, he moved in there. 
And they built this little chapel on Buckingham Gate Road. And he started small and a small number. Let me read to you from what's been written about it. It was time of hope in May 1841 as 22 Christians sat in a beautiful newly built chapel on Buckingham Gate Road, full of faith in God for how he would move in their downtrodden and degraded area. With Westminster Chapel's first minister, the Reverend Samuel Martin at the helm, the church began to make waves in the neighborhood. Houses for the poor, places of refuge, and schools were built. Orphans were cared for, and work schemes were organized for unemployed men. Reverend Martin's gospel preaching and biblical authority made Westminster Chapel stand out as a light of hope in what was then one of London's poorest slums. India didn't find that word. It came from London. Rife with prostitution, squalor, and drug addiction. Even influential leaders of that time, like Lord Shaftesbury and the Dean of Westminster, Dean Stanley, began to hear of the chapel's impact in the area. We are gathering at the moment Trinity Church in the Doubletree Hilton. And it's a stone's throw from where he planted. And if you go into the existing Westminster Chapel, which became the home of Campbell Morgan and then Martin Lloyd-Jones, it changed from being 22 people to thousands can be seated in there now and became one of your nation's greatest influences in terms of Christian doctrine because of a few people's faith to believe God. Not what newspapers or news channels or TV channels in our day were going to say about the area they were in. But this belief that the gospel of Jesus Christ, this beautiful story of a loving father, could change towns and nations right to the ends of the earth. Samuel Martin transformed Westminster. Brothers and sisters, we too carry a dream. A small dream that started in such a simple way. Such a simple way. In rural Africa, where God put in our hearts in a simple barn on a farm in Africa. Will you believe me that I can anoint you that you can take the gospel across to the ends of the earth? And I remember as a young, inexperienced pastor, 35 years old at the time. That's a long time ago, as my boys keep reminding me. Preaching this and saying, we're going to the ends of the earth. There were about 270, 300 African people, rural African, 70% unemployment, poverty that was awful, sitting there looking at me with big eyes. Really? Okay, we're going to the end of the earth. And Tubby Steve says, we're going to the end of the earth. Father Steve, they used to call me. 
here we stand today. I think there's quite a lot of people from Nepal here. There's a real move of God there at the moment. Everywhere I go, I hear new things happening. And they're trying to put the lid on it, but it's not going to happen. And so it goes, and so it goes. I've just been in sleepy Montana. Oops, sorry, Montanans, um, if you listen to this message. Montana is amazing. One million people in a state that's three times the size of the United Kingdom. That means you all got a lot of space, unlike Abdullah's home, where you've got the same small 23 million people sharing that space. And going there, it's, it's been a slow and gradual building process. But God has done such a remarkable work. And I suddenly realized, God, you're about a new thing. And then I'm reminded of what God has been saying to us. Last year, as we set our course for 2019, I felt God say and speak to me about a time where we would gather all our key leaders from right across the nations, rich, poor, African, American, Filipino, Liberians, you name it, all in one room. And so after a lot of discussion, a lot of research, and a lot of praying, we managed to gather some 300 leaders in Marathon in Greece. Don't ask me why we were there. It's a long story. But it's a wonderful story in some ways. And it was lovely to have Nick and Marty there. Thank you so much for being with us. And suddenly in one room, we gathered after spreading out and spreading out. We were all together before God. And I said to leaders, this is not a conference. This is not, you're not going to gather here to come and listen to our latest teachings or our latest thoughts or anything like that. We are going to gather to God. And as we gather to God, we're going to believe and trust that through prayer and worship and the word of God, he will speak to us for what's to come. If it's possible, I forgot about the picture. Did you, did you put that up while I was speaking or not? The devil's acre. Could you do that for me? I forgot completely. So this is where we've just planted. It looks very different nowadays. But in Charles Dickens' time, that was Westminster. That's a drawing of Westminster from your history. Small beginnings, simple people, great God. But while we were preparing for marathon, God gave us the following word, if I could have that. And I want to read it to you. Ah, it's right before me. What a great church. This word came to us while I was in Australia. It was a visitor trying to work out if she should emigrate to Australia from South Africa, losing hope, leading a church, getting nowhere, not having much breakthrough. So he arrived in Australia to see if he could emigrate and have a fresh start. Sadly for him, he encountered me. And um, the rest is history. He's now joined us. He's gone back. We have a church in Johannesburg. And he is going for it. It's wonderful to see. Oh, I need to finish. God spoke to us. I believe God is taking us into a new era. It's not a change of season as it's not something 
we have experienced before. New eras present a total change of landscape, which brings about such a significant change in the mode of operation. Seasons are recognizable by those who've experienced them before, and one can find yourself back at the same point. A new era is something totally new. We have lived with this word and really have felt God impress it on our hearts to believe that we have crossed a threshold into not a new season or a new wineskin or like that, but a whole new era of the church. And as I stand before you, I can't tell you what it looks like. Because new eras are only recognizable as you look back and you think, wow, everything changed from that point. But even having been in America, I realized God's doing something different. We went in there, and as I said, Montana is such a beautiful place. And we chose Memorial Day weekend to do a gathering. For Montanans who have been shoveling snow for six months, the Memorial Day holiday weekend is their time to escape, hopefully into the sun, although often it's not the case. But they escape and they go camping, they get out and they, they do life with their families and their communities. And so the leader said to me, Steve, we're not quite sure who we will gather because this is the weekend, everybody. And they were right. As I headed towards the building with these rows and rows of RVs, big recreational vehicles, you know, it takes about three car lengths to pass them, you know, and they're just, they're all heading out of town. I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be interesting. I arrive at the meeting. And as it was this morning, there was expectation. We drew the biggest crowd we have ever had before. In the evening meeting, we had to go find extra chairs. And the leaders are saying, what's happening? What's changed? God. He hasn't changed, but the times have changed in him. And looking back now, you can see what God's doing very quickly. I believe just three things that I understand for this time, and I want to call you into for these times in this new era. And the first one is this. I believe that more of church is going to happen outside of our facilities than in them. If we will respond to God, every single one of us, and say, Lord, here I am, send me. I believe our towns and our cities are going to change. We have believed this in Trinity. And if I have to make a confession, when I get off the platform, when I'm finished with meetings, I go into a slack bubble, I sit on trains, and I just want some peace and quiet. I don't want to give anymore. I want to just be anonymous for a while. Because it is a very busy life. We made this this discovery, we felt God speak to us, and I thought, Lord, all I do is speak to leaders. Happy bunch of people. I want to be effective for the kingdom beyond church. From that moment, I've spoken to no less than seven people about the gospel of Jesus on the trains, playing sport, just all over. And you think, wow, this is what God wants to do. And so I believe as you set your course in these weeks and months, 
I believe that God's going to make us a visible, impacting church in our community as we serve. And hearing that testimony of the funds being given, exactly it. Church, let's get out there. Number two, I believe that, as I heard recently from a very prophetic friend of mine, that our battles will become increasingly difficult. But the victories will become easier. Wow. I wish I had time to tell you some of the stories that we are facing. While I speak to you off this platform, friends of ours have some of their leaders lying in hospital in a critical condition in the east of India. Because there's been a big shift. Beaten for their faith. Critically beaten. We're going into times, I'm so grateful, thank you so much for praying for this nation, the UK, this morning. We're in a leadership vacuum at the moment. Sorry to be so honest. Big battles where the church has got to say, we can do something about this. Don't worry, England. Here we are. We are praying. We are calling on our God. We are calling on our God to raise up men and women who will guide this nation forward. Our communities. Don't worry, Swindon. You want to dig a canal, I heard. They want to reinstate the canal through here. We've got our spades. Great battles. Great victories. And very lastly, I believe God wants to say to us, do not be neglectful in these days. I so enjoyed my trip to America. The healings were unbelievable. One of our pastor's wives from Mexico, John Evans and Floor, his wife has suffered so badly with ill health. She had a car accident some years ago and both her knees were shattered. She's had so much surgery and this constant pain and there was this healing broke out. And she came to the front, she knelt down like this, and she said, I had a car accident, and she spoke to us off her knees. She said, I haven't been able to kneel for years and years. She said, in fact, there were five words of knowledge for different illnesses. I have all five of them. I didn't know which one to go and ask God for. <laughs> but he seems to believe my knees needed healing first. Now my kidney, now my brain. She had damage in the car accidents as well. But God wants to say to us, brothers and sisters, do not be neglectful. Jesus got invited to a dinner party, as I was last night, by all the movers and shakers of Jerusalem. They're all Pharisees dressed in all their fine outfits, and they all gathered, all the nobles gathered, because they'd finally persuaded the prophet, this man who's causing so many problems, to come to dinner. And over dinner, it's one of those parties they must have thought, oh, why did we ever invite him? Because from chapter 14 of Luke through, right through to chapter 16, he tells eight parables, and he just goes. He sort of throws a light punch, and then he throws another one, until finally in chapter 16 comes this uppercut. Bam! takes them down, and 
and tells them the story of the rich man and Lazarus at the gate. It's a frightening parable. And if you know that parable, and God's been speaking to me about it daily. I spoke to all the lead elders yesterday, or was it yesterday before, about it. If you know the parable, and I'll end with this, you've got the, the rich man who's settled in life. And at his gate is this man, Lazarus, and he's in poverty, and he's in ill health. And it says that the dogs come and clean his sores, and he's there. And finally, if you read through the parable, God holds the rich man accountable. And if you delve into that, and you start to read and wonder... It's not because he oppresses this man at the gate. He doesn't call his servants and say, get rid of him. I've got a dinner party tonight. I don't want him at my gate. He does none of that. He doesn't call the nobles of the city and say, could you help me? I've got a disturbance at my property. His problem, as Jesus points out to the Pharisees, he did nothing. He neglected what God had put at his gate. And while I was in America enjoying all this, the healing, people being moved by God, tears, leaders on their faces, new church plants being born from people on the floor, all sorts of things that everyone in my position loves, God speaks to me and said, don't forget who I put at your gate. And brothers and sisters, I am so, so grateful for Gateway Swindon. I want you to know that from my heart. Thank you to the people you've released. Simon and Fee Turner. I have the privilege of not only working with Simon, but discipling him. And so I know a little bit of what awaits him in the future. It's glorious. It's come out of Swindon. As I said, Mark and Jackie Thorne. It's one of the most beautiful stories. Donna, who's in... Burundi today, facing such hardship. And so it goes on. I could just name people after next one, next one, because we've got this broad family. Tanz Tanzania, Liberia, China, and so on. Middle Eastern nations, unnamed. And God is just saying to us as churches, don't neglect what I've put at your gate. And it's always hard for me to say, churches, come on, let's just keep pushing forward because I know there's a cost to it. There's a cost for it. There's a cost to it, sorry. Heather and I gave our lives for this many years ago. Now we find ourselves in the position where, as a family of ourselves plus three boys, all married, grandchildren, we're on four different continents now as a result of us following the purposes of God, and it seems wherever we go, we leave one behind. We've run out of sons now, I'm afraid. Ah, thank you. Quite true. And it's hard, you know, you're doing life over Skype, and then you hear what they're doing, you hear the stories, you see the lives of the Abdullahs and all the others coming through and taking the gospel on, watching you, Colin, a moment ago, just seeing the leadership arising. We've got a great task. Who has God put at our gate? I want to stand one day totally 
a bit of stuff, caught up with Jesus and say, Lord, we, we were faithful to the man at the gate, the nation at the gate, the, the people you sent into our nation as refugees, the, all the lust and the hungry, we were, we were faithful. Thank you for your partnership. If you see me a lot, I'm not fulfilling God's call because apostles are sent ones. And so we shouldn't be here. So as you say goodbye today, say, what are you doing here? You should be out there. We've got Swindon. We've got Wiltshire. We've got this part of the United Kingdom. Oh, and by the way, we've got this and that. You go. And we keep sending and receiving.